And welcome to Monday in the Puro Pelka podcast. Yes, I know I'm a little bit tardy. Had a lot of things going on today. We had trees falling down over the weekend. Had to be hauled away. It was crazy today, but we're getting to it. And I stayed up late Friday night and watched Kevin McCarthy cross the finish line and become speaker finally. And if you're a listener to me on radio or follow me on Twitter, you know my thinking. I think part of all that drama was planned. Part of all that was meant to distract the Democrats and keep them away from the microphones on January 6th. You see, they wanted to make January 6th another day of hand-wringing and storytelling and demonizing of Donald Trump supporters and Donald Trump himself. But because there was no speaker... They couldn't swear anybody in, so there couldn't be a bunch of opportunities. And that was a beautiful thing. You'll notice the vote happened, the final vote, the 15th round of votes that put Kevin McCarthy into the speaker's chair happened after midnight. So it wasn't January 6th anymore. So all those harpies couldn't get up there and talk about this is the second anniversary of the day that nearly ruined my life. Yeah. Talk to me about Ashley Babbitt, Air Force veteran, who was the only person killed that day. And there never has been a real investigation. Never. Not one. So uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to rant down on this one. It's gone. It's over. They missed their opportunity. Good. And they couldn't go hang out with Joe Biden either who even got the date wrong. He couldn't get the date right. He said July 6th when he was doing that ceremony at the White House. July 6th, not January 6th. Is this the most embarrassing president ever in the history of American presidents? I think so. I really do. In case you missed it, I might have the clip here. Uh, From Friday when Joe Biden had a small ceremony And he gave out some medals to people who deserve to be honored for their service to this country. But he was also, he was also saying some pretty dumb things. Saying some things that, just embarrassing. Saying that's July 6th, not January 6th. Hold on, I'm going to, I have to get this. Because this was just too, too stupid for words. And I really do believe his brain is starting to fail at a faster rate. I know someone's saying, no, how can you be so mean to him? Doesn't he live in your state? Yeah, he's here more than he's in the White House, it seems. It's pretty darn close anyway. But yes, uh, Friday, Joe Biden had an event at the White House and um, invited uh, a bunch of folks to come. And the Democrats couldn't leave because there was voting going on in the Congress. Yes, another brilliant move, whoever scheduled that. But this is uh, Joe at the White House on Friday, getting the date wrong. Only consequential, not a joke. If I can halt for a second and just say to you, the impact what happened on July the 6th had international repercussions beyond what I think any of you can fully understand. Now, when he says the impact of what happened on July 6th, There's a gentleman behind him, one of the recipients, a guy in a uh, beautiful dark suit, and he's wearing a red, white, and blue flag tie. It's kind of a cool tie. And he's one of the people they honored for their service. When Biden says July 6th, he does this Olympic 
side eye. Like, did you hear what he said? Right at that moment, if you haven't seen it, Benny Johnson posted on his Twitter on on Friday. It's out there. You should see it. It's hilarious and worth mocking. So we had that going on. Now, this whole deal about controlling what's going on uh, in in terms of the rules, there's still going to be some bumps in the road. But listen, we got this thing across the finish line Friday. Now it's time to govern. Now it's time to put a new committee together. They call it a church committee in honor of uh, the late Frank Church, who was a Democrat, by the way. He used to investigate when government overstepped its bounds. When certain parts of the government, like the FBI or the CIA or the IRS, were weaponized by a president, Frank Church liked to go in and go, hold on a second here. And Thomas Massey, Congressman Thomas Massey of Kentucky, who you've heard on with me in the past, Thomas Massey is going to be part of that committee, and that makes me very happy. But I tell you the, things that makes me mo- the thing that makes me the most happy is Jim Jordan is going to go after Dr. Fauci and the origins of COVID. And I think this is really a very, very important committee. I know a lot of people are saying, shouldn't we be doing other business? Yeah, you can do more than one thing. And Jim Jordan certainly can do that. And let me just break it down for you. We should go over this because Jim Jordan held a hearing about two and a half years ago. And it was about COVID and the origins of COVID. And he had gotten wind that Dr. Fauci knew that the COVID virus from China, from Wuhan, from the Wuhan Virology Lab was man-made, had all the appearances of an engineered virus. And he got that information almost three years ago. It was January 31st of 2020. And in his hearing, which uh, Fauci decided not to uh, attend, Jordan had all of the evidence. He had the receipts, as they say. And he broke it down. Let's go over it. This was Jim Jordan explaining how Dr. Fauci had been caught based on the emails. Friday, January 31st, 2020, at 10.32 p.m., Dr. Fauci gets an email from Christian Anderson. Christian Anderson's a British researcher who's received numerous grants from NIH. Two really important sentences are in that email. Now, before he reads the sentences, remember, this is a Friday, 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, which means it's uh, like 3 o'clock in the morning in England where this uh, British researcher is. What's in the emails is really important. Two sentences that get Dr. Fauci's attention. The first is this. The unusual features of the virus make up a really small part of the genome. So one has to look really closely at all the sequences to see that some of the features look engineered. Again, this is January 31st, 2020. Second sentence. Eddie, Bob, Mike, and myself all find the genome inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory. Email arrives 1032 to Dr. Fauci on January 31st, 2020. Almost three years ago. Almost three years ago, in the earliest days of the pandemic, before we had declared a pandemic, the media was telling us, oh, don't worry about this. Stop calling it the China virus. You're going to scare people. 
We were called racist for calling it the China virus, but Fauci knew there was something wrong. And Jim Jordan has the emails. Two hours later, at 12.29 in the morning, Dr. Fauci sends an email to his top deputy, Mr. Hugh Oshenkloss. Guys, worked for Fauci for 15 years, part of his inner circle. Sends it, subject line says, important in all capital letters. The, he attaches a paper on gain-of-function research written by Dr. Barrick and Dr. Xi. Dr. Xi, of course, is the so-called bat lady, bat woman, the lady who does research in the Wuhan China lab. Are you paying attention? Fauci doesn't write back to the guy who wrote to him. He writes to his top lieutenant, somebody who's worked with him for 15 years, said, hey, something here, and here's a, here's a paper on gain-of-function research which talks about how you bioengineer a virus. It gets worse. This email, Dr. Fauci says again to his top deputy, it is essential that we speak this AM. Keep your cell phone on. Read this paper. You will have tasks to do today that must be done. Notice the intensity. Notice the focus. I mean, this is the house is on fire email here. Yeah. And, and he was right because Fauci, who had been funding gain of function research in labs around the world, including the Wuhan lab, the virology lab, he knew all about the gain-of-function research, and now he'd been alerted to it. So he's getting his team lined up in order to protect himself. This is almost three years ago. And then he has to throw a smokescreen. Now, two hours after that, at 2.48 in the morning, Dr. Fauci's busy this morning, 12.29, that email he sent to Dr. Oshenklaas, his top deputy, two hours later at 2.48 in the morning, he sends another email this one to Robert Cadlick, Assistant HHS Secretary, Trump appointee, not part of his inner circle, and he attaches a different article to this email. Check this out, because, again, Fauci alerted his team, and now he's going to distract the members of the Trump team. One that says the virus came from an animal that downplays any lab leak theory. Now, again, notice the tone of this one. Bob, this just came out today. Gives a balanced view, best Tony. I mean, totally different from the previous. This is one like, oh, if you get a chance, read this, gives a balanced view. So the tone is different, but also that sentence, gives a balanced view, it's not true either. That's just not accurate. This article downplays, as I said, the lab leak theory emphasizes evolutionary cause to the virus. Yeah. He's distracting the administration while he is gathering his team circling the wagons to protect himself. And there's real proof of this. Later that same morning at 11.47 a.m., Dr. Fauci's deputy gets back to him. I just want to read you this whole email. The paper you sent me, the one he sent him on, that was written by the virologist from Wuhan, China, and Dr. Barrick. The paper you sent me says the experiments were performed before the gain-of-function pause, but have since been re reviewed and approved by NIH. Not sure what that means, since Emily, someone else who works for Dr. Fauci, is sure that no coronavirus work has gone through the P3 framework, which, of course, is the oversight body that's supposed to approve any grant dollars going for gain-of-function research. No coronavirus work has gone through the P3 framework, Final sentence, she will try to determine if we have any distant ties to this work abroad. 
she will try to determine if our fingerprints are on any of this. Meaning she will try and determine if we could be judged to be liable for this. Now, let's remember this was going on in China and other bio labs around the world. China's not telling us everything they're doing. They just want our money. And we're handing it to them. In America, in a free country, people that work in these medical labs tend not to be members of the Chinese Communist Party, although maybe we should look into that too. But in China, they all are. It gets even worse. All these emails happen in 13 hours. So 13 hours after Dr. Fauci gets the initial email from Christian Anderson saying, looks like this virus is engineered, not consistent with evolutionary theory, Dr. Fauci knows some important facts. First, Dr. Fauci knows there's a lethal virus on the loose that started in Wuhan, China. Second, he knows the American taxpayers have funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan, China. Third, he knows that the research grant didn't go through the required oversight board. Fourth, he knows the virus, quote, looks engineered and, quote, not consistent with evolutionary theory. And finally, fifth, Dr. Fauci knows he may have ties to this work in China. His fingerprints, in fact, may be on this. Those five things alone should have Fauci up for some kind of charges. Just those five things. And the fact that he avoided this hearing because he was bouncing around to MSNBC. Again, this is all before the pandemic was declared. This was all about a virus that had just broken out in Wuhan that we were getting a little suspicious of. At the very end of Feb uh, January, this is now on February 1st. So what does Dr. Fauci do next? After he says, oh, whatever, what does he do next? He organizes a conference call for later that same day. I mean, this is the busiest 24 hours I think I've ever He organizes a conference call, 12 people on the call. Dr. Fauci and 11 virologists from around the world. Virologists who've gotten millions of American tax dollars over the past several years. Now look at this list. Here's the list of people. There's only two Americans on the list, Tony Fauci and one other. Most of them are from around the world, as I said. I think the first thing you notice is who's not on the call. Who's not on the list? Is Dr. Cadlick on the list? The guy he sent the email to at 3 in the morning? Is Dr. Redfield the head of CDC? Dr. Girard, who's with us today, Assistant Secretary at HHS at the time? Dr. Burks, the lady who's soon to be COVID response coordinator? In fact, there's no one from the government on the call except Tony Fauci. Tony Fauci and 11 other individuals who got a bunch of American tax dollars over the years. What happened on the conference call? The short answer is we don't know. We don't know what they talked about. I mean, I, got a, I think we got a good idea. We don't know for sure, but we do know what happened four days later. Now, the conference call readout is all black inked. It's redacted. But let's talk about what happened four days later. Four days later, February 4th, 2020, Christian Anderson the guy who started it all, who said the virus looks engineered, Christian Anderson said this four days later. The crack, the quote, the crackpot theories going around at the moment relate to this virus being somehow engineered. That is demonstrably false. Close quote. What? In four days, this guy went from this looks engineered to now that's demonstrably false. Four days he went from this isn't consistent with evolutionary theory. Now we know it's totally evolutionary. But it gets even better. It gets even better. Mr. Anderson and three of the other people on this call 
write an article a few weeks later that says COVID is not a laboratory construct. Now, let's let's quickly review Anderson, the guy who initially alerted Fauci five days earlier that this thing is is man-made, is now writing Fauci to say the people who are telling us it's engineered while they're spreading false stories. And he and his buddies write an article that they're going to get published, which will get media attention. Right. Because that's how you do this. You get published and you draw the media's attention because you have credibility. And it gets worse for Fauci. And while they're writing that article, there's an email from March 6, where Mr. Anderson offers to let Dr. Fauci edit the article before it's published. And here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. When the article is published, Dr. Fauci cites it at a White House press conference when he is asked by a reporter about the origin of the virus. Cites the very article he put in motion on the conference call and he was allowed to edit. At the White House, where he's supposed to be giving the American people the truth, he references an article that he manufactured. Now, maybe I'm wrong about all this. Maybe it didn't work out this way. I think I'm right. Maybe it didn't work out this way. But it would have been nice, Mr. Chairman, if Dr. Fauci would come today and answer our questions. He could have come here and defend himself, but he didn't have the courage to do it. And you know else who wouldn't come? Remember that email about the P3 framework? We invited Dr. Hassel to come too. He's the individual who chairs that oversight board. We invited him to come today too, and he wouldn't come. So Fauci, after he heard it was engineered, the virus was engineered, created a distraction inside the administration, then gathered his team, and they created paper to insult and take down the people who were calling for an investigation into the virus, and they were being called crackpots. And then his buddies wrote an article that he edited and then cited it as if it was independent research at a White House press event. This would be at least contempt in a courtroom. This would be tampering with evidence. This has so many things that are are wrong about it. And that's why I want Jim Jordan turned absolutely loose on Dr. Fauci. And let's have some consequences to this. Now, we're waiting for the Fauci files. Elon Musk says they are coming. We thought we were getting them last week. He said they're coming any day now. And they are more than we have been told. Meaning worse for Fauci and better for all of us. Which is a wonderful thing. That's a really good thing. All right, before I get out of here today, because it's a short one today, we have a lot to do tomorrow, and Jim Stovall stopping by, and I think Lauren Fix has something to share with us. The car coach has some new news. Uh, we have to talk about Joe Biden's trip to the border because it was embarrassing. They cleaned up beforehand. I went to college in San Antonio, Texas, at a place called Trinity University, and they used to have Parents Weekend in the spring. And about a week before Parents Weekend, when the parents were invited to walk around the campus and see where their money was going, the school cleaned up everything. They got rid of everything that could be considered objectionable or ugly and put new plants in the ground. That's what happened in El Paso in the last week. They cleaned up the whole damn place. 
and, you know, Biden walking by Donald Trump's wall with some Border Patrol agents. You know that's going to be in a campaign commercial. They did all of this so when Joey announces he's running again, they can use this and say, he's been to the border. But the the reporters, the local reporters, ABC in uh, Texas, they weren't buying it. They were even mocking Joe Biden. All of these locations are on the itinerary that we received from the White House. Didn't look like he was going to be headed to downtown El Paso, which is where we had seen many of the migrants who had uh, been living on the streets of Segundo Barrio. All yeah, so Biden's, Biden's own itinerary is being mocked by the San Antonio media. That lady wasn't the only local Texas reporter. There was another guy that talked about Joe going to the Bridge of the Americas and uh, calling this essentially a dog and pony show that doesn't really get to the heart of the issue. But it doesn't get to the heart of the issue. And, and quite frankly, the, the processing that happens at the Bridge of the Americas is commercial traffic. There, there are not uh, facilities there to process individuals. And so, you know, maybe the tone of this will change uh, when he goes to the county facility. But, but so far, I mean, this is, this is very much a dog and pony show. Yeah. Yes, very much a dog and pony show. And when he went to the county facility, this is what was really fascinating to me. Joe Biden walked up to some of the volunteers at the county facility from some of the um, non-governmental agencies that were volunteering to help the people, like the Salvation Army, like Catholic Charities. And he walked up to one guy who was in his Salvation Army uniform who said, uh, you know, hello, how are you? And was introduced to Joe as one of the folks from the Salvation Army. And you won't believe what Joe said. I don't know if you could make it out, but Joe said, hi, how are you? Shaking the guy's hand. He goes, you know, I spent some time with the Secret Service in Poland and Ukraine. It's not that kind of army, sir. You should be ashamed of yourself. And then there was Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who I just think is uh, doing a great job. He's got a huge, huge battle on his hands down there with what's happening along the southern border of the great state of Texas. And uh, Governor Abbott delivered a letter that we were told was a sternly worded letter saying, you know, you're two years and 20 or two years and two billion dollars late on this. And. I hope that's what was in that letter. I think they released it. But the surprising thing was Abbott talked with Maria Bartiromo about the visit. And usually when the president comes, they reach out to the chief executive of the state, the governor, and they try and create a, uh, a meeting, a greeting on the tarmac. This is how that evolved. During this entire time, Joe Biden has not called me. He did not call me, uh, nor his staff uh, called and uh, let us know either about his visit or to invite us. Uh, until uh, last night, uh, we got a random email to uh, one of my staff members uh, asking if I would be there to meet him on the tarmac. Uh, and so they have failed to communicate. And listen, uh, this visit uh, is about uh, two years too late and about $20 billion short 
of what needs to be done. All he's going to do down there uh, is rearrange uh, the, the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. He's not going to achieve any solutions uh, that will make uh, the border safer, more secure, and stop illegal immigration. So it was $20 billion short. Yeah, that is a, that's a better number. Texas is probably owed that $20 billion. Joe Biden spent about three hours at the border. Turned out to be kind of a arrest stop for the plane and the president as they were flying to Mexico where he's meeting with uh, Trudeau and uh, was it Lopez Obrador, the Mexican president, to talk about trade and immigration and whatever. What a waste of time this was. Well, they are going to use it in campaign commercials. And meanwhile, the country, the country's in a bad place. Today, a new Gallup poll came out. And even CBS couldn't, sweep this under the rug. 71% of Americans say they feel scared or angry about the direction of our country this year. 49% are scared. 47% say they're hopeful. Yeah, well, there's more that say they're scared. Let's hear how CBS painted this on Face the Nation on Sunday. But what about American strength overall in this post-pandemic phase of recovery and renewal? Our poll shows only 34% of Americans, one-third, believe life in this country is going well. That seems kind of high to me. I'm just saying, I got back from the grocery store a little bit ago, and I bought um, uh, eggs, a pack of 18 eggs. It was $8 plus tax. $8. A year ago, it was $2. Now it's 8 I can do the math. The good news, that's up from one in four last year. So last year, 26% of Americans thought things were going well. Now it's 33%, and we think that's good. Good try, CBS, but that's a fail. Nearly half say they're scared, while nearly another half feel hopeful. No, more say they're scared than say they're hopeful. And it has a lot to do with the economy. It has a whole lot to do with the economy and a whole lot to do with the safety and security of the country and how people feel when they're on the streets, how people feel. Biden's economy is is creating pessimism. But when it comes to specific economic measures, 59 percent feel pessimistic about the stock market, 70 percent pessimistic about the cost of goods and services. There you go. That's my eight dollar 18 carton of eggs that last year was $2. Meanwhile, the president's out there speechifying and talking about how he'd do well in the pros. He could have, he thought he could have been a walk on for an NFL team years ago. I thought maybe I could make in the pros, but look what happened. Shame on you people applauding. I actually was foolish enough to ask Floyd Little whether he could get his. He was a friend of mine in Syracuse. If he could get his agent to see if I could walk on, you know, 50 every year they allow 50 folks to walk on. Well, guess what? He said he came back to me laughing. He said, my agent said they're afraid if let you walk on, they'd have to just carry you off. Uh, that might have happened at a bar, but it didn't happen in real life. This guy never thought he was going to play pro ball. That's such bravo, Sierra, and it's so sad that he's allowed to do this. 
Anyway, he's he's done his duty at the border now. Never mind that nothing will change down there. Never mind that uh, the president's press secretary, Cringe, Corinne Jean-Pierre, was telling people on the plane that everything Joey's doing is working. I'm not kidding you. She was telling people on the airplane that the Biden policies are working. Her words. The, the president's border uh, uh, enforcement measures are working. But again, this, these are steps that he, the president is able to take. He's taking this clearly very seriously. No, he's not. And it's not getting better. They're bragging about how much fentanyl they are seizing at the border. Bragging. While our unprecedented effort operations continue to result in record uh, fentanyl seizures. Record seizures. We are told by the federal agents they get between 5 and 10% of the drugs that come through Mexico into this country. 5 to 10%. That's unprecedented. That's record fentanyl seizures. And why are we going after China? This is an attempted genocide of the American youth by China. They know exactly what they're doing, and it's empowering the cartels who are now attacking the Mexican government because they have arrested the son of uh, El Chapo. It is giving the cartels a gigantic war chest of money. And they're buying weapons like they are an army. I mentioned earlier I'm waiting for the release of, of the Fauci files. I can't wait for that. What we did get over the weekend was uh, the release of, of some pretty disturbing information that shows Facebook and the Biden administration were in direct contact with one another trying to get people like Tucker Carlson silenced on social media. Directly talking the White House to Facebook. Basically demanding that Tucker Carlson be shut down. You got to pay attention. Do not get tired of the Twitter files. Do not get tired of this. This is something that has to be constantly read and we need to be talking about it every chance we get. All right, I'm going to wrap it up here for today. Uh, This week, I don't think I'm doing any extra radio stuff, so I'll try and do some more podcasts. We are going to have uh, the next three weeks, I will be doing radio starting next Monday uh, for Chris Plant all across the country for two weeks. And then in uh, the first week of February, February, I will be in for my buddy Drew Steele on 92.5 Fox News out of Fort Myers, Florida. So we've got a lot to do. And I, I guess that's that's good news. And, you know, Kamala Harris likes good news. I love good news. Love good news. I just love good news. <laughs> yes, yes, we all love good news. Thank you for appreciating Kamala. So till next time, a testudo, my friends. Testudo. Testudo. <laughs> 